Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They call Delbert McClinton the godfather of Americana for a reason. Across the span of a 60-year career, he's played with everybody. Little Richard and Jimmy Reed, Muddy Waters, Willie Nelson, Tom Petty, Mavis Staples, B.B. King. He's written songs performed by Lou Harris, Etta James, Vince Gill, George Strait, Martina McBride. There's even rumors that he taught a young John Lennon the finer points of the harmonica before the Beatles became the Beatles. Delbert's blend of country, soul, and blues is a sound that's endured for 60 years. He somehow found himself at the center of the Texas music scene, the California music scene, the Nashville music scene. He was even at the center of the Muscle Shoals music scene. He's a musician's musician, releasing more than 30 albums and winning four Grammys and the Americana Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. He's witnessed entire genres of music be born and then disappear, and he's seen America change in the process. He's quite simply a legend. And now he's released his latest album, Outdated Emotion, which is a tribute to the artist that first inspired him. Across 16 tracks, he's recorded songs by Hank Williams, Jimmy Reed, Ray Charles, Little Richard, Lloyd Price, and others. These are some of the songs and artists from which all of modern American music sprang. They're songs that endure and ones that Delbert still loves. Today on The Reckon Interview, Delbert McClinton joins us to discuss what these songs meant to him, stories from his six decades on the road, how the music industry has changed, and more. It was a real honor to speak with Delbert McClinton, so let's go ahead and get started on this week's episode of The Reckon Interview. Delbert McClinton, it's an honor to have you on The Reckon Interview. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. You've released at least 30 albums over the years, but this latest one, Outdated Emotion, feels like returning to your roots. You've got 16 songs on here, most of which were originally recorded by people like Little Richard, Jimmy Reed, Hank Williams, Ray Charles. Tell me how you decided on these songs. Well, there's some of the songs from my past that uh, I love. It's where I came from. It's music that still moves me to this day. I wanted to do this partially for me and also for the fact that there's at least two generations of people who are not familiar with this music. I think it's great music. And so much of the music that we listen to today still has roots in, in those songs and in that era. Of course they do. How could they not? You know, it was just a few of the things, the songs that are part of me. I learned a lot of things from these artists. Do you remember the first time that you heard Hank Williams? Oh, man, I was a kid, you know. I have always wanted to record some Hank songs because I'm the world's biggest Hank Williams fan. Always have been. I was like uh, a kid when uh, Hank Williams was doing Hank, doing Hank Williams. But the Hank stuff was all when I was an underage guy. Hank Williams, uh, he did it to everybody. You know, Hank Williams is Hank Williams. Nobody topped him yet. <laughs> when he died, I was, uh, I was 12, 12 or 13 years old. And you started playing shortly after that and got to play with people like Jimmy Reed, right? Is an all-time favorite of mine. 
just, I don't get enough of, of listening to Jimmy Reed. It's the heartbeat of my life. Well, and his name is one that people don't know as readily as Hank Williams or Ray Charles. You know, I noticed a lot of the artists that you are recording, that you recorded for this new album were Black artists. And you were playing with some of them, like Howlin' Wolf and Jimmy Reed at a time when segregation was still the law of the land in places like Texas. And, and they were getting played on the radio. But you don't see biopics of, of Jimmy Reed like you are of Elvis this summer. So do you, do you think they got the credit that they you know, clearly mean to you? Jimmy Reed. No, I don't think he did. But in a way he did because Jimmy Reed affected everybody. Because for, for one good reason, dun, 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 anybody can do it. Jimmy Reed did it a special way. What was it like playing with them at that time, Jimmy Reed and Alan Wolf and so many others? It was great. I learned a lot of harp tricks from those guys, and they were very eager to give me information to show me stuff. And I knew I was in the right place at the right time, and I absorbed as much of it as I could. I know throughout your career, you've been part of the Texas scene. You were in the California scene. You played in Nashville, New York, Muscle Shoals. You've been called the Forrest Gump of American music. When you think about, you know, you toured for 60 years, what's the first memory that comes to mind for you in that, that whole process? Of touring for that long, getting, uh, well, in, in the later years, it was a bus. Before I got my first bus, which was a 1947, 49 bus, I think. Anyway, it was an old bus. The bus I bought was one of those Art Deco things with a rounded back with a scoop. And every one of them you'd find to buy, they would say, yeah, this belongs to Bob Wills' band. You know, every one of them I ever looked at, oh, yeah, this was one of Bob Wills' buses. I spent a lot of time traveling in a 69 pickup truck with a camper on the back with the mattress I was born on shoved up in the bed and a five-piece band, two or three guys. This was an upgrade from a station wagon. Because two or three guys could lay down on a mattress and sleep, and two in the cab. So, you know, it's, uh, it's all so romantic. <laughs> there's a legend, and I know you've talked about this plenty of times before, but there's a legend that you showed John Lennon at least the finer points of harmonica playing when you were touring in London. How did that go about? You got to keep in mind, they hadn't changed the world yet. And we were all going to change the world. We were all on common ground. When I got to go to England with Bruce for the Hey Baby thing, the first couple of weeks were a package shows where we all, all the artists traveled on the same bus. The shows would start in the afternoon and go way into the night with 15 or 16 different acts culminating in Bruce Chanel. I got to go out and do a couple of songs with the band, and then I would bring Bruce out. And nearly every night, somebody in one of the bands would come to the dressing room and say, hey, show me how you do that. It's kind of hard to show anybody how you do anything on a harmonica. But, but this night that we played with the Beatles, Beatles were the opening act, and John came to the dressing room and said, you know, show me how you do You know, I, I don't know other than they came and wanted to know something about what I was doing. We hit it off, and they came back out, or at least John came out to see two or three other shows that we did. And we hung out for off and on for a couple of weeks, and then it was all over. And, and then a couple of years later somewhere, 
somebody wrote down that John Lennon was influenced by the harmonic on Hey Baby and yada, yada, yada. And that got romanticized into we were best buds and all of that. Well, well, we were. We, we hit it off really well, but there was not, not time to become best buds. But it's written, as they say. <laughs> Obviously, music has changed a lot in the 60, 70 years you've been playing. You've seen rock and roll from the beginning, and it reached its kind of rise, and, and now it's not quite as popular as it was a couple of decades ago. What's been the most lasting and best change that you've seen in, in music in, over the years? What Willie did in the 70s, he introduced the songwriter, and the songwriter, the, the artist with their own band, not an artist playing with the house band, so to speak. You could get to it easier through what Willie started. He made everything available to the songwriter. All those shows I did with him in, in the 70s, most of the people backstage were songwriters or people in bands that was, it kind of gave the songwriter an avenue. Willie did. And so many great songwriters surfaced during the 70s because of what Willie brought and what Willie offered to others who were wanting to do the same thing he did, play their own music. You obviously, you witnessed music change, but you also witnessed America change in the last 70 years. We talked about, you've been called the Forrest Gump of music, but I believe you also saw President Kennedy in Fort Worth about an hour before, before he was killed. Tell us about that story. The day that happened, I had this friend that used to come out to the club all the time where we played, and he ran a little place called the Stag Shop, a men's clothing store. We were good friends, and so it got to be where if I'd come out there and spend the day with him and maybe sell something or just keep him company, I called it my job. But the best I could get was a couple of shirts here and there. You know. Anyway, we were out at the Stag Shop, and Radio Shack had this ad for the big ear. We got to laughing about that. They say you can put it up the wall and hear people in the other room. And so Stuart, that's the guy's name at the stag shop. He says, man, why don't you go over there and get us one? He gave me some money to go to. So I drove over to Radio Shack. Well, on the way, there was police coming down on motorcycles and putting everybody to the side of the road. Didn't know what was going on for a minute, but found out that the president was on his way out to Carswell Air Force Base to fly to Dallas. So he came by and they were just creeping along. And I was oh, less than a car length away from him. They came by and we locked eyes and he nodded and waved at me. And uh, I went on after they went by, I went on over and got this big ear. And I got back over there. I was, hey, man, I just saw the president. He said, the president just got shot. So it was a wacky day. And you had been the house band before, and then obviously you started putting together your own band and, and toured with your own band for, for most of your career. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been the band leader in every band I've ever been in, just trying to make it work. <laughs> Is there anything you would do differently? Oh, man, I don't know about differently. You know, the music that I make, it, it's, it's, it just comes out. It's seldom ever anything planned, but it's if you got a good line, got a good hook line, it begs 
for more. And if you want to be a songwriter or a poet, well, then you chase it. Are there any artists today that you're excited about that you, that you like listening to that make you feel the way that maybe you felt when you were listening to Hank or Jimmy Reed as a kid? I can't listen to radio these days. I think, I think since MTV came into the scene, it's all been dumbed down and dumbed down. The thrill is gone, except for those coming up who want to be, if I never hear another guitar thrasher, it'll be too soon. <laughs> well, what kept you going? You know, what kept you touring for, for as long as you did? And, and what was it like for the last couple of years not touring after 60 years of touring? Well, all the touring and stuff that I've done has been the most wonderful thing in life. Even today, the passion is still so incredibly strong. But COVID changed a whole lot of things. And it came at a time when, when I was already slowing down. When, when COVID came along, I was only playing four nights a month. I was doing two weekends a month, Friday and Saturday. 40 years on a bus and hotels is enough. And COVID just pushed it over the top. All of those things that was are not there anymore. I don't want to go into a room full of six or 800 people in the middle of uh, this unknown disease that's taken hold of, of everybody. And, and I'm compromised. I've had heart surgery. And I don't, need, I don't need anything like a bad case of COVID. Two guys in my band got COVID real, real bad. Really bad. They survived it. But I'm not sure what surviving COVID means because they're talking about the COVID brain fog and, and all of these lasting problems that some people are having with COVID. Anyway, it turned it all around, you know. The thrill was gone as far as getting out there and doing that. The thrill was only gone because of the, the threat of it. I was sitting at a kitchen table one day and Molly, woman that works with, she came in, she says, what are you gonna do with this bus? I'm not on the road. I don't need a bus. So I said, well, sell it. She said, I think we've got it sold. And we did. And so with the bus gone, that pretty put the final nail in the travel coffin. And that's okay. I've traveled. I've done that. Uh, it's not to say that I won't do a show here and there from time to time, but I'm not going to do any more 15-hour bus rides or red carpet hotel rooms. Coming up after the break, more stories from Delbert McClinton. Hey guys, if you've been listening to this interview and you wanted to jump in with ideas of your own, then you may want to sign up for The Conversation, our weekly newsletter that dives into some of the topics that we raise on the show and other issues in the South. You can sign up for it at ReckonSouth.com newsletters. As you've traveled across Texas and Tennessee and the country, what are the changes that have stood out to you throughout your career? There's too many people, too many people, man. Uh, uh, it's just too many people. Uh, there didn't used to be this many people and life was a lot easier, but there's just too many people, too many ways to jump and not enough ways to win, but just too many opportunities and they can't all be good. I know on this record, you uh, 
got to play with your daughter for some of the songs. Yeah, what was that like? It was great. I introduced her to Hank Williams before she could walk. And she knows the lyrics to every Hank Williams song. She can hum the solos, the fiddle solos, the guitar solos, everything to every Hank. And so when we're in the car together, we put Hank Williams on and just sing at the top of our lungs all these Hank Williams songs. So when I came to do this, I wanted to include her in. If you had advice, you know, you talked about how MTV changed everything, but if you had advice for people coming up right now that wanted to play music the way that you did, you know, how would you tell people to, to start? Only advice I got to anybody is don't leave your wallet in the dressing room while you're on stage or your leather jacket. What's next for you? Oh, well, I got a record coming out day after tomorrow. I'm excited about that. I hope people receive it well. I've already got songs lined up for another record. And I've got so many songs that I've done on other people's records that I would like to uh, put on uh, an album and, and put out that, that's, that are they're great. They're good, good songs. And they're in the bag. They're already done. Hell, I'm still writing songs. I only retired from the road. I didn't retire from making music. You think you'll ever retire from making music? I don't know. I'm sure that at some point, something's going to prevent me from doing it. I most likely or But right now, I think I'm doing really well. The name of the album is Outdated Emotion. Where did you come up with that title for it? Well, these songs are, are from another time. The emotion I feel from listening to this music is thrilling. And these artists are not on the radio. Most of them aren't even alive. Well, maybe all of them. None of them are alive. I don't know. But it's just some of the music that really moved me that I would like to share the excitement I had with other people through this music. And the only way for me to do that is to, to make these songs mine and present it. Tell me about the first day you realized you could could make a career out of this. I think the first day was when I was about 12 years old. My favorite cousin lived in Sweetwater, Texas. We had just moved to Fort Worth. And every summer, me and, and that cousin had spent a lot of time together. I went to spend some time with him in Sweetwater, Texas. And uh, they had a, a bed, old bed, set up out in the backyard with a mattress on it. Uh, me and Walter, that's my cousin, we sleep out there every night, you know. Well, I was out there when we were out in that backyard one afternoon, and his daddy, or Uncle Earl, was the meanest old son of a bitch that there was. Never had anything good to say. He treated kids like he hated them, and he was drunk a lot. Well, I was out there in the backyard, and I was singing, Hey, Joe, where'd you get that pretty girly? Uh, and he came running out, slammed the screen door open, and who's that doing that singing? And we just froze. And I said, that's me. He said, boy, that's really good. And Uncle Earl became my biggest fan. He, was, he drove a Vandervoort's milk truck, delivery truck, and he'd pay me and Walter 50 cents a day to go with him on his route and run up the door and collect the bottles and put full bottles of milk. Well, we'd get up at four in the morning and go to the Vandervoort place, help load the truck. Then we'd go stop at his coffee shop where all the Vandervoort 
drivers went to get a cup of coffee and a donut before they'd start their route. Uncle Earl got me up on the bar there, the counter of the donut shop, singing to all these milk truck drivers. And they all was just, you know, it was all real, very susceptible. And I thought, man, maybe I'm on to something. <laughs> the other thing that really got me going, I was 17. I went to Florida, uh, my mother's youngest sister, my aunt. They had been in Lubbock visiting family. They lived in Cocoa Beach, Florida. They came through Fort Worth to visit with us for a couple of days. And my aunt invited me to come to Florida with them for a couple of weeks. And so I'm sure I jumped at it. And we got down there and my aunt was the other biggest fan I ever had. And she went down and rented me a guitar and entered me in a, the Starlight Motel, which is where all the astronauts hung out. And they had a bar in there, you know. And every Wednesday they had a, a talent contest. And at the end of the month, the last Wednesday, all of the previous winners would perform. And that night's performer, which was me, I won, won $100. And when I got back to Fort Worth, I went over to T.H. Kahn Music Company and bought a, a little Mahogany Martin guitar, used guitar. I'd give anything if I still had it, but I don't. When I won that, this woman from Atlantic Records came up to me in that motel bar, gave me her card and said, send me some demos. Said, I, I really think you've got something, you know. I thought, man, I got made. I got made now. So when I got back to Fort Worth, I went in and recorded a couple of songs and sent them to her, and I hadn't heard from her yet. It, uh, it set my world ablaze. That's when I put the first band together. Was that the band that you were backing all these artists in Fort Worth with? No, 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 no. This was years later. This was 17 years old, and I had only put one band together, and it was, and the only reason this band got put together Jerry Lee Lewis was coming to town and he was the hottest thing going. He was going to play the Sportatorium in Dallas, which is this huge thing they use mainly for wrestling matches. But when they have concerts, they just take the posts down on the four corners and make it a stage. We went over to the audition for the opening act on that. Us and two other bands, nobody could play, but we were so willing. We had me had a, a, a sax player, a lousy tenor sax player, and the drummer had a snare drum and a ride cymbal. There were four guitar players, me, my brother, and my brother's friend. Anyway, we got up there and opened a show for Jerry Lee. When he came up, I was standing right the side of the stage because, you know, it was kind of a backstage area. And I was standing and looking at him from the back, and he was about six, seven feet away. And I'm standing there watching. In a minute, he stands up and kicks that piano stool and it went right by my face, man. It didn't miss me. It didn't miss me by five inches. And that was a thrill. That was a big thrill. That's my Jerry Lee Lewis story. <laughs> the sound that you have carved out for yourself, Americana, the, the mix of country and soul and blues and R&B, that sound seems to have endured where a lot of others haven't, you know, the, the thrasher guitar that you were talking about not liking. What is it that you think makes that sound last? I think it lasts because it's good. 
Uh, you know, the, the secret of music is there's no answer to it. It either moves you or it doesn't. And if it does, it's everything. And if it doesn't, it's nothing. Music has always given me exhilaration, always. I grew up listening to all the music of the 40s, and I still listen to 40s Junction on Sirius Radio every day. I can't recall a day that I don't listen to 40s music because it still stimulates me so much. And that was the time of great bands, great musical artists, the war. The war was the biggest horror ever known. The music was the most wonderful thing. 40s music is so incredibly uplifting. The artists of the time, Lester Young and Teddy Wilson, good God, man, they're phenomenal. They do it with no tricks, no gimmicks. MTV brought all the gimmicks on and lyrics fell by the wayside. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. And these are all just things I feel doesn't mean they're real to anybody else. I think the fact that you feel it so deeply is why your music has, has been so embraced by so many people. Absolutely. Without a doubt. It has been the driving force in my entire being, my whole life. What's your favorite story from the road? The, the road is the story. Every outing, there's something that stands out, whether it has to do with the music or something that happened. An awful lot of fun goes on when you're in a bus with people you admire and you make music with and you spend all your life on a bus with them, the ones that come and go. It's a fellowship that, that lasts. Well, Delbert, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Well, thank you for, for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, everybody go out and buy a copy of Outdated Emotion. And that's our show, folks. Thank you to Delbert McClinton for taking time to speak with us. Do yourself a favor and go pick up a copy of his latest album, Outdated Emotion. The Reckon Interview is executive produced and hosted by me, John Hammontree. It's edited by Kanika Codrington and the great folks over at Edit Audio. If you're enjoying our show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And hey, maybe we'll be able to stick around as long as Delbert has. And until next time, thanks for reckoning with us.